The question is, how do you know when you are going towards burnout? Or how do you know that you are experiencing burnout? In other words, you've already reached there. I had a great conversation with a lady called Candice Elliott, and she is the founder of an organization called Fortress and Flourish. What she does is she works with corporates to help them stop pushing teams and individuals towards burnout. Now, one thing we did discuss, which was around recovery, and that sleep really helps around that recovery side of things, indeed. Now, the other thing too I would actually ask you as a listener is, do you ever take a power nap during the day? And the thing here is that we talked about that, and we also talked about the importance of speaking up and having your voice heard. The thing here is this, for a lot of people, we need to reset and we discussed that. But there was one thing that Aunt Candice talked about, which was understand the power you have. And that whole concept and what she talked about is very powerful. The other thing is that Candice actually offered a gift to you as a listener. So check out our show notes and you'll see the gift there. All right, listeners, a great topic to think about and listen to. So sit back or carry on doing what you're doing, but enjoy the episode. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you here again with us and have a great guest with me. And her name is Candice Elliott. Candice, a massive welcome to you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Excellent. Now, whereabouts in the world are you today? I am in Santa Cruz, California. Oh, that's an awesome place to be. And some really cool people live in that area. Friends of mine, family, things like that, plus you. So that's awesome. So yeah, that's a really good place to be. And I know that there's a lot of rich kind of inventions, entrepreneurs, people like that in that whole area around the Bay Area, San Francisco, and so forth. So it must be great just to be around them. Yeah, it's a really exciting place to be, both for the people and then just for the amazing natural beauty that's all around us. We've got woods and mountain and ocean and all the things. <laughs> yeah, you do. You have it all there. That's really good. Yeah, excellent. Actually, I think that the San Francisco area is very similar. I know San Diego is very similar as well to, to New Zealand and you know, the green, the forestry and so forth, which is pretty cool to see. I have New Zealand on my travel list. <laughs> oh, have you? Oh, yeah. Well, well, you need to come here then. That'll be great. Yeah. Now, I've given the, the listeners a little bit of an introduction to you in, as we started off this episode. But I'd love to know a little bit more about you and your background. Tell us, tell us more. Yeah. So to go back a little bit, I graduated college in 2008. So during the biggest financial recession in the U.S. and around the world since the Great Depression. And so I'd been sold this idea that like so many of my generation, we were going to go to college and we were going to graduate and we were going to get these great jobs. But then the market totally crashed. And that isn't what happened for me. And I had a lot of passion in my early 20s. And it made me really distrustful of the business world and of capitalism and the government. And so I decided to take a stark left turn. I had lived 
internationally in Israel and Jordan for a while, but I had never really traveled within my own country. And so I went to the bookstore and I bought a map of the United States and I looked at all the places that I had always wanted to travel which were mainly the national parks. <laughs> and I took $5,000 that I had saved up and I had this intention of traveling for like six months, which I thought $5,000 was going to last that long. And it didn't. But I ended up being in Florida in the winter of 2009, which was one of the coldest winters up to that point. And the oranges actually froze off the trees that year. And it was when I was there, I was living in this shack that didn't even have any running water. And in the swamp next to some railroad tracks. And I realized that I actually did want to participate in society. I just wanted to be able to do it in a way that was in integrity for me. And I also realized that it wasn't actually possible to live outside of capitalism. And that if I was going to participate in that, then I wanted to also do that in a way that was in integrity and felt good for me too. And so that was more than 15 years ago now. And it's crazy to think how much time has passed. And my company is called Fortress and Flourish. And I help business owners and executive directors who want to stop pushing their teams toward burnout. And when I talk to people, I kind of hear this line that's from the movie The Godfather all the time. It's not personal, it's business. But I really think that all business is personal because we're working with people. And if we don't have people, then we don't really have a business because yeah. that's how it works. But interesting how you've had that journey so far already and that you're a record breaker. In other words, global financial crisis and then, and then you go off to Florida and the oranges are frozen and all these things are happening. So interesting journey already that you've had and, and what you're seeing and so forth, and then going to actually start your own business to help people around the burnout side of things, which I really want to dive deeper into as we talk about things as well. And so that's the thing you said about the burnout is really quite important because I think a lot of people suffer from it, but sometimes they don't know that they are suffering from it. How do you, so we're going to talk about it from two perspectives, I think. One is we'll talk about it from the leader's perspective, but it's also talking about it from an individual's perspective. How do you know you're getting burnt out? Well, so I have a personal story of burnout that I didn't even realize that it was happening until I was having a panic attack and couldn't breathe wow. in my car. <laughs> they sent me to this psychiatrist who said, this is totally normal. You're fine. Just get back to work. You're good. And I thought that isn't true. <laughs> this isn't okay. People shouldn't have to deal with this. But I think that there are things that happened leading up to that, that if I was paying attention, maybe I could have backed off a little bit. So mm. there's this thing I think that we do when there's pressure to succeed or when we really want to show how good we are at something where we're overriding um, what our body is asking us often to do, which is slow down. Um, so it could be asking for more sleep or more nourishing food or just some time out of the day that's not working. And so I think you know, if you feel like you don't have any space for rest, that's a clue that you might want to think about addressing a potential burnout situation that could happen in your future. Yeah, I just, I'm actually reading a book at the moment, well, listening to the book at the moment, and it's yeah. by a guy called Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy. It's around, the book's name is 10x is easier than 2x, but he talks about athletes and how a lot of the basketball players, the professional um, basketball players, how much recovery time they take out, how much time high performers tend to actually sleep. And we're not talking about five hours, six hours. We're talking about eight, nine, 
10 hours that they may be sleeping, but they're taking the time out to recover. And that's a big thing. So that's more or less what you're saying here, right? Yeah. And I'm reading a book right now that's called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. And he talks about sleep specifically and that we're getting about 20% less sleep than we were getting 100 years ago. Some of that has to do with the introduction of electricity, but then also more recently our devices and screens. But that not having enough sleep actually affects our brain's ability to clean itself. It'll clean itself in waves, but it needs to be asleep long enough for that to happen. And that the most restorative sleep happens for us between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Yeah, and that, that's a thing for a lot of people is that they need to be in bed by 9, 9.30, 10 asleep because, as you just said there, those four hours are really quite critical. But then a lot of people sort of stay up later and then they watch another thing on Netflix or they're doing something on their device and things like that. Next minute, it's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. And then they, yeah. So, so listeners, this is a big thing here, which is what Candice is just sharing with us, which is really important that we do need to take time out, but you need to be deliberate on what you do here because it just doesn't happen. Yeah, you might fall asleep on the couch, but that's not what we're talking about. It's actually having decent sleep. And you need to take time out to do it. You need to be deliberate about the actual hours that you're getting there. Then there's the other side too, Candice, which I think people go to bed and they go, okay, i got to sleep now. Let's go. I'm still awake. And it's not, it doesn't work that way either. So it's about how you set yourself up to, to do that, which is important, I think, too, right? Now, sleep is one thing for recovery. Do you think there's anything else that people should be doing in relation to recovery that's outside of sleep? Yeah. So for me... Having a spiritual practice has been very important. And the way that I access that is through the arts. And it may look different for any different per any person, but having some kind of a creative outlet that isn't connected to your work can be really healing. And it, it may be that you play guitar. It may be that you just go outside and appreciate something that is beautiful. It may be that you eat something delicious or make delicious food. I think it's important to just take into consideration that we don't always have the capacity to be able to do what we want to do. And so sometimes it's finding the small ways that are within our daily life where we can access these things. I'm a mom of a two-month-old right now. So nice. it's, yeah, it's hard to get enough sleep and, the, and enough sleep at the right time of day. It's difficult to, I don't have time to do pottery, which is my artistic outlet of choice. So I'm writing instead or I'm cooking delicious food instead. So I think that's important too. Yeah. Well, what a wonderful thing to bring a, another human being into, into the world, right? And being creative that way to do that kind of thing, which is good. And then, yeah. yeah and I think you're so right in the, in the sense of actually doing something else that's different. The number of execs that I get to work with who say to me, oh, I do this and that. And I ask them what's their passion in life and things like that. And they start to talk to me about this thing to the left or the right hand side of their life, just out there that they don't actually, haven't actually done for a long time and they miss it. And, but they're not going to actually say that out loud that they miss it. And it's one recently was playing the guitar. Another one was actually painting, doing painting and art stuff as well. And it was like, are you doing this at all? No, I haven't done it for months or years. Wow. And so Getting them to the realization of actually doing that and taking some time out. Oh, but I'm too busy, Dennis. Yeah, I get it. But then we have to make time for this as well because it's actually going to give you more energy. It's going to lift you up as things get underway. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, some nice things that you're sharing. Thank now, you. Candice, 
the question here is, how did you get into leadership yourself? I mean, you've got a company now as well, but how did you get into leadership? Yeah, it's hard to know the exact moment because I feel like I've always been interested in different kinds of leadership and politics and things. But my earliest experience of being called a leader was when I was a teenager, like early teens. I think I was 13 and I was selected to participate in this conference. It's called the National Youth Leadership Conference in Washington, D.C. And this was 2002 when the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq were in full swing So when I was in D.C., there were protests happening, and I just got to be in the middle of it all in our country's capital. And that experience really shaped how I moved through the world in the following years. And in the conference, it was amazing. There were these groups of young teens that were being put into groups to solve these huge world issues. It's like the nuclear power in North Korea, like solve that, (laughs) solve the issues of the Middle East. And then also as a part of it, we got to go to the Smithsonian and see these wonderful memorials, and that impacted me really significantly. And then sort of next phase of leadership that happened for me, it was really seeing a need that a group had and then stepping into fulfilling the role that was needed. So an example of this is that I worked at a Boy Scout summer camp that was on Catalina Island. It was like the most beautiful place. And I worked in the field sports area, so we were teaching kids how to shoot bows and arrows. And (laughs) there were 10 instructors, including me, and there was no real schedule for breaks, but we were all exhausted because we were working from like 6 a.m. until almost midnight. And so I figured out a way so that we could all get an hour off during the day so we could go have a nap or go swimming or something that would help us. And so from there, it just kept going. I think that once you start down this path of leadership, it finds you in all these different kinds of places. And then once you kind of have a go at it and it works. And for me, when I was able to help, it made me actively start to seek it out. Mm, Very good. Very good. And what you just said about the nap in the day, is it important for people to take a nap in the day if they can? I mean, some people are in an office, so maybe they can't, but maybe they can somewhere. Is it important to take some naps during the day? I think What I read in all of the research is that it's important to get enough sleep. And so that if you can't get enough in the evening time, then a way that you can hack it a little bit is to get a nap in the middle of the day, which is something that I'm doing a lot right now because I think I was up seven times last night with the baby. (laughs) Well, and, and that makes sense, right? And I think that's another big thing here, listeners, is you do what makes sense for you. You do it to to look after yourself. You don't actually have to ask permission, just do it. And and I, I was coaching a guy the other day and he said to me, oh, to be honest, I actually took a nap earlier on. And he was saying to me as if he was guilty about it, right? And I was like, that's awesome. So did I. And he's like, what? I went, yeah. I mean, I do that regularly. I might be working at my desk and I'm like, I can't even get my eyes open. Or, so I'll go and have a 20 minute nap. And that power nap just sets me up beautifully for the rest of the day. And I think it's a really important thing for us to do. It's good. I've got a question here I want to ask you because you being a young leader, if I can put it that way, what are leaders, young people, young leaders today looking from more experienced leaders? What do they want? What are they looking for? I think that we're looking for mentorship. I know that for me, mentorship has been very important. One of the people that I was able to learn from was Fred Keeley, who was the speaker of our house here in California. And so when I was on our community advisory committee against homelessness, 
he was the person who convened the group. Basically, he sort of guided us through the process that we were going through and taught me how to run a meeting with very different voices in the room and to be inclusive of all of those voices and to be able to have. And so I think that sharing your experience and sharing the things that work is really important for us to learn because we're going to have to we're going to have to keep moving everything forward. It's great. And it's actually a very good skill to actually have or facilitate a meeting whereby you can have everybody voice, everyone's voices heard, which is really important. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Alrighty, mentorship is what uh, young people are looking for from leaders. I actually think they're also looking for strong leadership from people too. And I don't mean being a jerk and that you're just hammering people. No, that's not what we're talking about. They're wanting that strong leadership, just like the example you just gave us in the sense of showing people what to do and how to do it, I think is really important. So starts to set up our leadership of the future nicely as we tend to move, then move on. So in other words, we're building a legacy of the future, right? So it's, I think it's a really good thing. The question I've got for you here is, who's your favorite leader and why? Now, this person could be alive or from history. Who's your favorite leader and why? I really think about my grandparents when I think about my favorite leaders. I know they're not people that everyone knows, but my grandfather, his name was Ray Elliott, and he was a businessman, and he was the mayor of the town that he grew up in. And it's a small town here in California called Avenel. It only has about 6,000 people that live there. And I learned from him at the dinner table and at our family gatherings and when he was the mayor, they put in the first stoplight in the town and did a revitalization of the downtown main street. And, and he owned almond orchards and he talked about needing to find bees to like pollinate the almonds. And he owned an oil field and talked about having to fix all the different parts of that. And he owned farm worker housing and built nutpacking plants all over the Central Valley of California. And as much as I learned from him, I also learned from my grandmother, who I call Nanny. Her name is Donna Elliott, and she's alive still. And she really taught me about dedication to family. And then also as a woman of an older generation, how to speak up for her needs and her beliefs. She showed me like how to cut with a sharp knife, how to peel potatoes with a knife. And she taught me about forgiveness. I remember so many times when I was a little kid, I did something just stupid. Like this one time I spilled her favorite perfume that was in her bathroom and she was kind about it. She was upset, but she forgave me. And I think that's something that's really important to think about as we're leaders. Not everything is going to go right all the time. And then something else that I learned from them is just about slowing down and having slow mornings and slow summers and time in nature. And we always read the newspaper together in the mornings. So we would read like the funnies, but we would also read about current events and we would have disagreements about them. But we would always come back together again and we would always love each other. And so that has been something that's been important to carry with me as I was co-chairing this advisory committee, but also on our county's workforce development board. And then as I was helping hundreds of businesses during COVID and then when wildfires wiped out 900 homes in our county and all of these devastating kind of things that have happened that, that impact our small businesses and our nonprofits too. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, you're coming from a family of entrepreneurs and you're also coming from a family of like your grandmother's side of things about 
looking after family and having that dedication, but also speaking up, having your voice as a woman heard. And in New Zealand, we were the first country in the world to give women the right to vote many years ago. And so, see, you need to come to New Zealand. You need to come and have a visit here. So it's really good. Now, if you were to sit on the park bench, you said your grandfather's past. Uh, if you were to sit there with your grandfather now and ask him a question while you two had a cup of coffee together, what question would you ask? The question that's actually coming to mind is about my sons. Like, what happened in your life when you were a young boy that you would want my sons to know about? Awesome. So his perspective or his experience of what happened to him or he experienced as a young child or a young boy and actually passing on that knowledge to your boys would be a great thing. Well, that, that's a, that's an awesome question to ask. Yeah, yeah. very cool. All righty. Now, you and I are talking about, well, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. When I say that title or that statement, what does that mean for you? Yeah, so, you know, you're talking about how New Zealand is the first country to give women the right to vote. And it makes me think about my own country, which demographically is... 60% white and 40% black, indigenous, and people of color. But the leadership of our businesses and our government just doesn't reflect that diversity. So an example is that our Congress is 78% white. When you look at women, we're 50%-ish of the population and only 29% of the Congress. And then when you look at business leadership, those numbers get even smaller. So women are 8% of CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, and Black, Indigenous, and people of color are a little over 6%. So when I think about how leadership is changing, I think 100 years ago, it wasn't even where it is now, right? So a lot of changes have happened. And in the U.S., we've created a lot of laws that are meant to help correct that imbalance, right? The Civil Rights Act is a really important one. But another thing to think about is that a law doesn't really fix an issue on its own because the law doesn't get to the systemic kind of issue that's at play. So another thing about laws is that they can just create the pro they can perpetuate the problem that they were meaning to solve. Like our minimum wage was meant to eliminate poverty. But in fact, because it hasn't been kept up with the way that it should, it is pushing more people into poverty. So I think that as we're as we are leaders and leading companies, we need to be thinking more long term. We need to be not just thinking about what's happening in this moment in, in a reactive place, which a lot of us are consistently in a reactive place, or the fiscal quarter, which is another place where we kind of, you know, tend to spend a lot of our time. But we need to be willing to look at these systems and remake them and to include people who really need to be given the same opportunities. So part of that is understanding the history of colonization and how the people that are in power are really a minority of the world population. And there's a, a book about this that I absolutely love that kind of same, changed my life, but it's uh, Sylvia Federici's Caliban and the Witch. And then the other piece of that, we, we've been talking about a bit, but it has to do with the health effects of these systems that we've created. So some of those include six out of 10 people in the U.S. and Britain have chronic health conditions. So like autoimmune disease and high blood pressure. And we've talked a bit about these studies, but in the U.S., for example, we're five or 400 percent more productive than we were in the 1950s. And 80% of Americans, though, are going to face a mental health crisis in their lifetime. 
there are these kind of juxtaposed pieces of information. And they're important things to understand, both collectively and individually. So part of this is helping each other and understanding that competition isn't the only way that that we survive, right? If we look to Darwin and the survival of the fittest, part of it is competition, but the other part of it is helping each other. And so when we're thinking about redesign, we have to think on more than just this personal level and on a collective level. A lot of us as leaders are working in our company space, and that's a really key space to be working on because we spend 50% of our waking lives at work. <laughs> we do. We do indeed. And sometimes we actually are married to more, to, well, we spend more time to the, with the people we're at work than we do with the people that we're married to or in relationships with as well. Have you ever thought about getting into politics yourself, like following your grandfather's steps as well? I have. Yeah, I have. I thought about starting locally at our kind of city level and then seeing what happens. I decided to not, I was actually going to plan to run for our city council, but then I had kids. And so I took a step back from that to, to really focus on my business and my family. But I wouldn't say it's out of the cards for the future. Yeah, I can hear it and I can see it as well. I think you, you've got something to offer and why not? I mean, it's also what Ray Elliott was doing, right? So why not? And so if you can do something along those lines, that'd be pretty cool too. Now, you and I are living in a world and it's probably going to come back to what you've been, you and I have been talking with about right up front. But, you know, we're living in a world that's so getting a lot faster. Technology, social, you talked about how many hundreds of, of percentage of more productive we are than the 1950s. There's a lot of stuff happening here. What, is it, what does a leader need to do to be successful in that fast-paced, ever-changing world today? Yeah, so I think drawing on what I learned from my grandparents, part of it is empathy. So to be able to see humans as humans, to let people be in their humanity and their imperfection. I work with leaders that are struggling to maintain that empathy or they feel like they have to keep pushing people and pushing themselves. And just like never ending project deadlines and deliverables. And in my own team, we generally don't start our conversations with work. We start our conversations with life and what's happening in our lives. And then drawing from just my own experiences, we already talked a little bit about creativity. So I think that being able to have an extension of that is having this beginner's mind so that you're looking at the problems that we're facing as if they're new problems or the system that you are a part of as though it is something that has just been created. And so you're able to come at it with a more creative perspective than just assuming that it should be that way. I think that we've created some things that maybe could be shifted. And if we're going to shift them, we need to be able to look at them critically. Yeah, that's good. And I think what you're just sharing there is, is really, really good stuff there. And that beginner's mind we have the Rugby World Cup is underway in the world, and by the time we hear this, it will be over. But, you know, there's an old All Black, an old All Black, an All Black that sort of has been very, one of the most successful All Black captains, rugby team captains, right? And he talks about one of the things that he does every game that they're about to play is he does a reset. He starts, it's a new beginning for them. It's a new way to start and get underway because they've had things in the past that did go well, things that didn't go well, but now it's time for us to reset, right? And so I think that's more or less what you're talking about, the new beginnings here. How do we think it like that and have a new reset and get underway? Yeah, and that's really the first thing that I do with my clients when we work together is what is that new beginning? Like, 
how are you pushing yourself and your team towards burnout? And what is one thing that we can shift that can help you to have a new start? Yeah, good. Very good. Very good. Now, you and I have been talking about through the lens of a leader. If we talk about through the lens of an employee now, what are the employee's expectations of leaders? Has that changed at all? Yeah. So we were talking about generations and the newer generation and being a mom of two little boys. And I'm trying to raise them to understand the power that they have so that if they choose leadership, then they'll make space for people who have been systemically disadvantaged. And I'm not necessarily assuming they're going to become leaders, right? They might just decide to do whatever they want to do. I feel like most people, though, are leaders in some kind of a way. But it seems to me that the younger generation, I mean, I'm in my late 30s, but there are people entering the workforce who are 15, 16, 18 in their 20s, too, and that they've been raised just a little bit differently. It's like every generation, we kind of become more aware of what's happening and we grow and we change. And if we have this long view of history, we see that there's a direction that we're heading. And I think that one of the things that's difficult for them is because we've created all of these work systems, they don't necessarily make sense. And especially if you're raised to see injustice or you're raised to see how a system is unfair and you're raised to speak up about that, if you then are put into a workplace where that is happening, I think there's this disconnect that happens. And so even in a healthy workplace, you have a younger generation coming in and being critical about it and speaking up about it. And I think that there is a part of this that is teaching that generation what work is or teaching our young people what work is. But there is also us listening to them and hearing what is challenging and making some changes along the way too. I mean, the current systems of work haven't really been around for that long. <laughs> they really are born out of the industrialization in the like 1800s. So we're still in a time where we can shape and shift and change too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's the, we're teaching the younger ones, but also the younger ones are teaching us too. There's that both sides, right? But as you said, we have to listen. We have to be there to understand what's going on and listen. And I like what you just said there too about understanding the power you have. I think that's a, that's a really, really cool thing to, to think about as well, listeners, is that really do understand, step back and think about what kind of power do you have? And it's not always a title because people think they, they've got this power because they're a title, because I'm the mayor or I'm the whatever. Who cares? It's what you do. And it's also how you treat people is really going to determine you being successful as a leader as well, which is, which is something that some people don't think about. Yeah. Candice, if I was to get you to get your crystal ball out here and start thinking about the future, where do you see leadership being in five years? Let's see. I really, what comes to mind is one of my clients. Her name is Mariah Roberts, and she's the executive director of a, a nonprofit here that's called Santa Cruz County Park Friends. And they're building these inclusive playgrounds all over our county. So any people of all different kinds of abilities can use this playground equipment. But also, I mean, we started working together when it was just her and her board of directors before she had hired anyone. And we wrote a handbook together. And I've just seen her as she's growing this organization, continue to invite diversity and be very inclusive to ask all of these questions like, when she comes up against something that she doesn't understand, she finds the right person to get the right advice about it for her and for her organization. And I just see also the way that she is 
partnering not just with her employees and with her board, but also with outside organizations and the government. And so I think that's the direction where leadership is going. I think that it is seeing the interconnectedness of the home and the work and the community and, and being a force to bring everyone together. Yeah, I like that. That's very good. Now, it's been great, a pleasure talking to you today and uh, having you as a guest on the show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? So my website, which we're going to link, is a great place to start. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. And I have a gift for the listeners as well. So I'm excited to share with you a short 30-minute consultation if that's something that you want and you would like to dig into this question of burnout with me and see what we can do to shift that a little bit for you and your team. That's excellent. So we're going to put all that into the show notes, listeners. So if you wanted to uh, refer to that, so to even to take a hold of Candice or the actual gift as well, that'll be in the show note for you. Candice, once again, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. All right, listeners. Well, there you go. It's about being inclusive and having all voices in the room being heard. And the thing is that leadership sometimes finds you. But if you've got a beginner's mindset, in other words, you can reset and you can understand things, but you also understand the power that you have, that is going to set you up beautifully. But once again, remember that burnout does creep up behind you and can actually hit you from behind. Do take time out to recover. Do take time out to look after yourself as well, which is really important. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 